0: We're on the verge of a new year, a new decade, and uh, for some, it'll be my third decade in ministry, which is really kind of cool, and uh, looking forward to it. But the question for all of us, are we ready for the new year? Are we ready for the new decade? The Bible says we're to make the most out of every opportunity, right? And I think that the question I'd have for us all as we start off with is, did you make the most out of every opportunity in 2019? I'm sure like everyone, there were opportunities seized and opportunities that were left abandoned. And As we go into 2020 as a, as a pastor, as a ministry lead, I, I'd love to see everybody have their best year ever in 2020, wouldn't you? Amen. You want to have your best year ever? And here's the, here's the thing I want to ask you a question. Let's say you're going on a trip and... Uh, You know, you you find out you're going on this trip and you can't avoid it. You have to go. There's just no ands, if or buts about it. And then once you realize you have to go on this trip, then you're told that it's a trip that's fraught with peril, right, that there's danger, there's difficult terrain, uh, that changes with the weather, things that seem passable become impassable natural obstacles that seem to be able to overcome with weather changes could be impossible and and a hindrance to your journey. You find out not only that, but there's an enemy that's out after you, and all along the route that you're going, there's opportunities to be ambushed and to be attacked. And as you start to think about it, you realize that there's natural disasters and natural uh, unique things in your path, everything from swamps, floods, quicksand, rivers that make the, difficult very, the journey very difficult. But you have to go. And so you're probably thinking right now in your mind, if that was you and you had to take this, this trip, you're thinking, man, I don't want to go. You have to go. And you're thinking this is going to be a difficult thing, right? But then let's say you're given a map, a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper is a map for your journey and it points out all the places where you could be ambushed, all the difficult things along the journey that you should avoid, and all the things that you may not expect, and a list of instructions on how to deal with various things that may come about during the course of your journey, what would you do with that map? Would you take it and file it away just to say you have it? Would you put it in a plaque and put it on your wall? Or would you laminate it a couple times and fold it up and make sure it's with you at all times? And the other question is would you study it? How precious would that map be? I think pretty precious. And so as we look at 2020, as we get ready to go into the year, we're all going to go into the year, we have no choice. There are going to be things that are going to be coming our way that we will have to find ways to get around or get through or overcome. There are going to be people throughout this year that are going to come after us and sometimes even ambush us. It's inevitable. But the good thing and the good news I want to tell you this morning is we have the Holy Spirit that provides us a map, not just in the Word of God, but in a relationship with the living, ever-present God himself. Look at the passage before us. It says, but as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He loved it. I love the fact that he starts off with the passage by saying, you can't even think, you can't even imagine how great God is and how good he will be to you when you follow him and submit to him with your life. He says, but it was uh, to us that God revealed these things through his spirit. How do we know these things? How will we know these things? It's through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Isn't that true? The only one that knows your thoughts is you. I can't read your thoughts. Nobody can. Isn't it interesting that the spirit can, though? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Isn't that cool? Freely given to us. In other words, the Spirit is here to help give us discernment and wisdom to walk through this journey that's fraught with difficulty, danger, and peril. Right? Right? That's awesome if you think about it. And we impart in the words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Look, I love this word, interpreting. We need interpretation sometimes of what's going on in our lives, don't we? And how we have to apply the Word of God to our lives, don't we? Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, right? God gives us that wisdom when we ask and we seek. It's interesting, it goes on. The natural person does not accept the things of of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, without the Spirit of God, without knowing Jesus Christ, guess what? You can't discern the things of God. They're folly to you. When you start to talk about God to some people, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to know about it, they don't care about it, they think it's all a bunch of mythology. Mythology. It just means nothing to them. They have no discernment, which to me says two things. People who without Jesus are in a dark place and they're walking through life and they're going to get destroyed by the perils that are ahead or taken over by the world. And two, we as the church who have the spirit of God have that wisdom and that ability to be able to discern need to help them see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes on to say the spiritual person judges all things but to, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him and I love this last line but we believers have the mind of Christ isn't that awesome we have the mind of Christ through the power of the holy spirit and so I think as it's so important when we look towards the next year of the next decade To really understand if we're going to make the most of the opportunity, the most of a fresh year before us, is to step back and say, how do I get more filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I look at my relationship with God? Let me ask you a question today. And I'm going to raise your hands. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were more closer to God than you are today? Huh? So everybody else has been as close to God as they want to be right now, right? Or this is the closest you've ever been. I believe sometimes as a church we really aren't, I don't want to say honest with ourselves, but really we're not introspective enough. We don't get downwind from ourselves enough to really understand where we're at spiritually, The reason why I think it's so important is because we don't recognize without the Spirit of God, we will become prey. We will become a victim, more or less, to our enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says that be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. He's out there, and he's pretty good at it. As the lion is the king of the jungle, our enemy is the prince of the power of, this, of the world, right? He changes the world's system to always be working against us. When you think about a lion, what does a lion do when it goes after its prey? It goes after the lame, it goes after the young, and it goes after the old, right, in the wild, and it's interesting because when you look at it spiritually, I think he goes after the inexperienced, which is oftentimes the young believer because they don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know. I think he goes after those who are hurting, right? And then I also think he goes after those who are wandering from the presence of God. And you become easy prey, an easy victim. His tactics never change. They haven't changed for thousands of years. He knows us because he studied us. He sees things. And it's really no different than the first time he put his craft to work in the garden. If you go back to that passage in your Bibles, it's not up on the screen, but I want to talk about that really quickly because his strategy is always the same. In Genesis chapter 3, it starts off with, the Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. That the Lord God had made. It's interesting because it says the serpent was the more more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent was was crafty. He was good at what he did. He was so good at what he did, even though he wasn't as big as other animals, he was able to survive in a way that made him crafty. It says here's the thing that you're gonna find out the devil never comes at you directly head on. He's crafty, he knows how to set a trap. He knows how to set an ambush. He knows how to feed on your flesh, your desires, and yourself. He's good at his craft. And it says, he said to the woman, this is really interesting, because if you, and this is some homework for you. If you go home and read chapter 2, uh, God is talking about creation. He's talking about making man. And all, and, and it always says the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. When he's talking about his relationship to Adam and then creating Eve, it's the Lord God, the Lord God. It's important because here in this first, uh, second verse here in chapter 3, it's, he said that a woman, did God, he leaves off the word Lord. Did God actually say? Here's the thing. To me, what that speaks of is that lordship speaks of relationship authority in your life. God just speaks of the deity, right? It's sort of like religion without a relationship. And we find that in the world all over the place, Right? People will acknowledge there's a God. They're deists. But he's not Lord of their lives. He's a God of their own making, who they want him to be, to fit their lifestyle and their philosophy of life and their worldview. He's not Lord as set forth in Scripture. It's interesting that the serpent leaves off that word because he wants to focus on religion and not relationship. He's good at that. See, relationships start to wane when we don't have that presence with God, right? Most times relationships go silent before they go cold, don't they? And so he goes on to says, uh, and uh, you shall not eat of the... Did God actually say? He's questioning God. You shall not eat of the tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you should die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. He's telling a half-truth. In the Bible, there's three forms of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death, right? So in some regards, he's saying you're not going to die physically. He doesn't leaves out the other one spiritually, right? Estrangement from God. And he says, you surely won't die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And here's the big thing, and you will become like God. Isn't that the truth for all of us? He uses a half-truth to, to, to create a mistruth in order to get us to a place where we can realize, hey, I can be God in my own life. I can decide what's best for me. I don't need the leading of the Holy Spirit and all the other things that go on. That's the craftiness of the devil. He does it many different ways. He uses many different people, many different situations. He does all these things to do one thing, is to deceive you into forgetting that he's just not God, but he's the Lord God. And it needs to be that in your life for you to have a successful year. In fact, for you to have a successful life. It's simple. He's going to have you question the word of God. It's authority. It's relevance. It's importance so that you don't apply it to your life. So it's not that map that you have laminated into your pocket. It's that thing on your wall at home or the thing that lays on your desk or that thing that you reference every once in a while. It doesn't become so precious that you can't live without it. See, I think that one of the issues that we need to have, and I started thinking about this, is how do we really walk spirit-filled with God in a way that puts us in a different plane, puts us in a different position? To me, when I was in the Army, I was an Army officer and I was down at Fort Benning, and you go to war college and you study the art of war, and one of the most important things when it comes to a battle plan is make sure you seize the higher ground because it's a distinct advantage, right? When you look at it, it offers better visibility over a battlefield. You can see it much better than those who are down below. It forces your opponent to make tiring upward climb to get at you, which oftentimes opens up his ranks and makes him very vulnerable, and you can exploit them. It offers opportunity to place part of your force where the opponent cannot see it, concealing it, and not showing your real total strength. And lastly, it prevents the enemy from entrenching because they don't have an advantage of the land, of the terrain. If you remember, it was one of the pivotal battles of our Civil War when we got to Gettysburg. It was Pickett's Charge. They were going uphill, and the Union commander was told, you've got to hold that ground at all costs, and there was a cost. But that decisive victory there, that Pickett's Charge was defeated because they had to go uphill, to fight the Union soldiers. It changed the course of the battle, eventually the course of the war. It changed everything because the higher ground matters. Romans eight fourteen says, for all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The question for us this morning, the higher ground for us as believers is walking in the Spirit of God, in His revelation, in His Word, In his authority and in his lordship. Without it, you will not be able to have a successful 2020, let alone a decade to come. We have to claim the higher ground. That higher ground can be many things. It's, to me, proximity to Christ. If you're standing right next to Jesus, it's hard to get in between you and him. But as you wander from Christ, his word and his spirit's leading, you leave a gap. And that gap shows vulnerability because you no longer have the higher ground. The enemy does. When you neglect the word, when you neglect your devotions, when you neglect gathering God's people, when you neglect the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in terms of guiding your life, you open up gaps, vulnerabilities for the enemy. To me, the situation of the church today places our world in a strategically challenged position. I believe too many in church, and I believe too many churches, in fact, they like the low ground. They like living in the valleys. What that means is they simply aren't prepared, aren't being watchful for Satan's onslaught, for his ambush, for his tactics. Ephesians tells us to be aware, alert for the devil's schemes because he does have schemes designed to defeat each and every one of us. Because this, we leave ourselves and others vulnerable of Satan's attack on the battlefield. And, and, and I know when I was in the army, and when we would set up a base camp at night, we would post sentries around the base camp, people who would keep watch during the night, right, to make sure that we weren't attacked. If one of those guys failed and the enemy was ever present, it created a vulnerability that exposed everybody in the platoon or the company we are those centuries to the world. We are to stand guard, to be vigilant, to understand what's happening in the world. We have a tremendous responsibility to fellow believers and to non-believers as well to stay alert and take the higher ground so that people around us will see the power of God at work in our life. I believe part of this valley-dwelling condition I'm talking about is due to the fact that we're convinced That we as a church and as we as believers are on the defensive. That we're going to hold our ground against the devil, right? I get that. But scripture is so much different. It paints such a different picture. We feel like we're convinced that we can't control the plays. We must simply be ready for whatever play the enemy brings us and do our best to defend ourselves or to stop it. The church spends much of his time formulating strategies in preparation for the oncoming battles, we need to develop an attitude that we really don't care what the devil intends to do because of the great commission has handed us the ball, and we are supposed to be on the offense, right? If we learn to carry the ball effectively, it won't matter what kind of plays Satan attempts and develops because we will always remain in control. John Lake said this, the real Christian is a royal fighter. He is the one who loves to enter the contest with his whole soul and take the situation captive for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We should all be royal fighters looking to walk in any situation in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the promises of God, and his providential hand to do what? Bring victory and glory to the name of God. I hope we all intend to battle head-on this year and win. I I think that we have a superior position placed in us through Jesus Christ, and we can become Satan's worst nightmare instead of him becoming ours. I want you to consider this, if you will. Satan's strategies, he he allows his strategies to become known so that we'll react and respond accordingly. This gives him the upper hand and places him in a position of control. And we have to remember that anytime you are not in control, He is. Did you hear that? Anytime you're not in control, He is. We must come to realize that we are overcoming body of people that has been blood-bought, spirit-filled, and divinely commissioned in order that all that He has spoken will come to pass. Anytime we find ourselves planning and strategizing according to Satan's tactics, we are clothing ourselves in the wrong mentality as far as I'm concerned. To me, we have to all understand that spiritual warfare in this life is unavoidable. It'll happen all the time, sometimes extremely intense, sometimes as subtle as a thought in your mind when you're trying to focus on Jesus Christ. To me, I think that there are some secrets that we need to understand when it comes to how do we grab the higher ground and why should we grab the higher ground and why is it important for us to lead a spirit filled life in order to bring the battle to the enemy. I'm going to give you seven. The first one is we need to have that higher ground. We need to have the higher ground. Number two is God knows what you can handle. This is the cool thing. This is the best thing that you can think of. God knows what you can handle. In Exodus 13, when he was talking about Israel leaving uh, Egypt, he says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they have to face war. Here's the thing. God knew what the people were able to deal with. An immediate war after leaving Egypt was not the thing that they could deal with. God knows what you and I are able to deal with. It's important. He will not allow us to be taken into a battle which would cause us to turn and run because it brings no glory to His name. Now, He only leads us in places that we are prepared to go. Isn't that interesting? He's only going to lead us to places that we are prepared to go. That should give us confidence to take the higher ground, to lead the valleys, to get up in the mountains, and see down below what's happening Then be prepared for that. It gives us a better vantage point to see who's in trouble and pray for whoever needs help and to do whatever we need to do. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will not turn and abandon the battle placed before us, but it does mean that we're abandoning a battle that we can win with God. We just choose in our own flesh to walk away. Because he'd never lead us to a place where we can't find victory. God will not allow us to be taken further than we are spiritually mature enough to handle, and God knows what you can handle. So, what does that mean? Application, we should trust him. Plain and simple. We shouldn't be afraid to take the higher ground because we can trust God because he knows what's best for us. Number three, God is not intimidated by Satan's tactics. And antics, isn't that great? It doesn't bother him. He doesn't care what Satan's doing, because he knows he's in control. He's only going to be able to do what he allows him to do. And here's the cool thing about it: when you look at Psalm twenty-three, five, I love this. It's the passage where David, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the famous twenty-third psalm, where he's talking about, "I lie down in green pastures," and he talks about how good God is. And this is my favorite part of it. It says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Right in front of the enemy, he's preparing him a table to sit down and eat. It's sort of like, almost like he's taunting or mocking him, saying, you can't do anything. In fact, we're going to have a meal right in front of you, and you're going to watch us eat. Isn't that awesome? He's not intimidated by his tactics. His tricks and tactics in no way intimidate God. God remembers the day he created Satan, who we knew as Lucifer. God remembers the day Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. God looks forward to the day where Satan will meet his ultimate defeat and cast him to the lake of fire. God knows he's not concerned with what he's up to. God understands that our intimacy in front of him frightens Satan. Think about that for a minute. Your intimacy with God, your closeness and proximity to God through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit brings fear into him. Because it unleashes the power of God in this world. Direct intimacy with God does two things. It strengthens us, which we all need. And more importantly, it encourages us, which we all need. That's why it's so important. The key to overcoming, to winning the conflict, is to remain in close proximity with God, which we refer to as the higher ground. It is the ultimate winner, along with those who remain bound to him. God is never intimidated by anything that Satan does or plans to do. Number four, refusing to fear terrifies the enemy. Philippians 1, and 28. Only let your manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And here it comes. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god a confident heart is a sure sign of an enemy's ultimate destruction and our present victory a lack of fear of him causes fear to arise within him and not within you We must learn to rely on the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the abilities of God in order to bring fear to the enemy. We have to understand that God is always in control, even when things seem out of control. We must place our complete trust in him. There's no place for fear. And when we do not fear, fear arises in our enemy. It's plain and simple. Five. Submission results in triumph. This is key for us. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I should put a little asterisk in there. It says even when it doesn't make any sense or even when it's the very thing you don't want to do. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Nobody flees from somebody they can defeat people flee when they're afraid. It kind of gives us an understanding of the victory and the power we have in Christ. But submission, let's face it, is difficult for us as humans, isn't it? It's one of the reasons we don't occupy the higher ground. We find it difficult to submit because it involves yielding the power and authority to one another. That's that whole statement in Genesis 3, Lord God. He's the deity, he needs to be the authority as well. He's not just out there as a cosmic power that drove everything. He's out there as the power that drives everything, and we need to be tapped into his authority in our lives. It involves surrendering ourselves to another's control. When I was uh, my kids were little, and they had gun sets, and they'd pull the guns out of the holsters, and they'd come, and they'd say, stick them up, right? And I'd stick them up, and then they'd always shoot me. And I say, that's not how it works. <laughs> but you know what? It is how it works. Because when you surrender, you put yourself, you put your life, you put everything in the hands of those who are holding you captive. You have no choice. You can't do what you want to do. You have to do what they want you to do. It's the same concept with God. When we submit to his lordship, we, we, we find ourselves in the ability to triumph where he triumphs, to have victory where he has victory, to have peace and joy and contentment in midst of any of the life circumstances that we have in front of us. As we learn to submit ourselves fully to God, we begin to realize that the resources of heaven are at our disposal. Isn't that cool? That the resources of heaven are at our our disposal. That's why he says when it comes to tithing, hey, test me in this and see if I won't break open the floodgates and shower you with my blessings. It doesn't mean money. It just means God's presence in your life in a new and more exciting way. These resources grant us power to overcome, the power to be victorious, the power and the ability to take a stand to resist the devil in all things, in all circumstances. It's his resources that make us able, and we are only able in his spirit's leading and presence. Without it, we're vulnerable. Think about David when he came to bring food to his brothers and the whole army of Israel was cowering in front of Goliath. They were fearful because they saw him and they didn't think about who God was. And David comes in and says, I'm walking in the spirit of God. I'm walking in the power of God. I'm walking in the promise." Guys, Who is this infidel that defies the living God? And he takes him out because he walked in God's power. And he walked in God's presence. Then number six. We have to remain on the offensive. We have to take the battle to the enemy and to the world. Matthew 16, 18 says, And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The it is the church. The it is the believer. The whole passage when it says the gates of hell is a defensive posture for who? The enemies of God. They've got to be on the defensive and they're only on the defensive when the church answers its calling and its mission to do what? To walk in the spirit and the power of God and bring victory and glory to the name of God wherever we walk and when and whatever we do. The church has been authorized And empowered and operationalized to attack, to be on the offensive, to take the battle to the world. We have taken a defensive posture for way too many years. We get in our walls and we feel safe and secure. We stay in our homes and our homeschools and all the different things because we don't want to be influenced by the world. And in the meantime, we're not influencing the world. We're not changing people's minds because they see us living radically different than they do. See, by doing so, we give Satan the offensive and thus place ourselves in a position to always be under his attack. It should never be that way in the church, it should never be that way in your own life. As part of his church, we have orders to attack. And we, as leaders, have developed a game plan going in the next year to do just that. To put ourselves on the offensive, to make a difference in Monique, in the southwest suburbs, in Chicago, Illinois, and all over the world where our missionaries put their feet. It's a serious charge. It's gonna take a lot but we feel it's the only orders we have from the commander-in-chief. And that's not Donald Trump. We need to attack every stronghold he creates, attack every wall he builds up, attack every device he attempts to erect around us or around you. We have no reason to fear because you know what? He's living in defeat. We need to live in victory. We need to take the offensive position, and more importantly, once we do, remain there and never retreat, never run from a battle, an obstacle, an ambush. The last, and I think this is my favorite, God enjoys seeing Satan defeated. I mean, think about that. Psalm 105, and the Lord had made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. Amen. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Here's the thing. We're greater than our foes. God made the children of Israel to increase greatly while they were in Egypt. The increase brought fear among the Egyptians, didn't it? That they were becoming too numerous and too strong and powerful. The increase caused the hatred to rise up against the Israelites because God was blessing them and God was using them. We have to remember it's God who strengthens and increases us. It comes from him. All growth. When we abide in the vine, we will always be fruitful, abundantly fruitful, the Bible says. To me, he does that, and he supplies that to do one thing, to stir up hatred towards us by the enemy. Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. You walk after me, the world's going to hate you. It's going to despise you. It's okay, because we know who's in control. We know who's guiding life. We know who's empowering us. We know who we can depend on, who we can trust, as long as we do one thing, right? Submit. You are God's soldiers. We are God's army. And he delegated on this earth for us to be on the offensive because he loves to see the enemy defeated, our enemy We have vested within those who are in Jesus Christ the power and authority to walk over Satan, to have victory in this world. God delights in these victories, children's gain and our daily struggles with the devil. God enjoys seeing Satan defeated. I think every person, and that includes myself, in this auditorium today, can seek higher ground. I think all of us can go and grab higher ground and look at it and say, okay, maybe 2019 was a great year. Maybe it was an okay year. Maybe it wasn't that great a year. The question is, could 2020 be better? The answer is absolutely yes. As we submit and walk with the Holy Spirit and guide our life, we're going to see victories that we've never seen before. We're going to see things change that we thought were unchangeable. We're going to see people's minds turn that we thought were just unturnable. As long as we trust in God, knowing God wants victory for those around us, and the way He works it is through His church, by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Didn't Jesus say to the apostles after He resurrected from the dead, hey, go to Galilee, right, or Jerusalem, and guess what? I'll send you the Holy Spirit who will give you power. Are you walking in God's power this morning? Are you looking forward to 2020 in a way that says, I am going to walk in the power and authority and providential hand of the commander-in-chief of the armies of the Lord, and I'm going to bring victory to his name wherever he guides and leads me. That should be the cry of our heart. Romans 15:13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Don't you want to have joy and peace in your belief? No matter what's going on in your life, So that, I love how Paul writes, the so that. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The world needs hope. Which means the world needs you, spirit-filled, walking in it. Amen? Think about it. We all in here know somebody who doesn't know Christ who was in the beginning of the passage, they just can't discern the things of God. They can't discern those things. And normally what they do is they make up their own God. They make up a God of their own image so they can tolerate life in general or they can justify the things they think and the things they do and they can deflect the true power of God to influence their lives. shouldn't be that way. If if this world is a fifth Christian, It just shouldn't be that way. So, I want to challenge you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. The gospel that we proclaimed over Christmas is very simple. God sent his son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, because one of the things God says is that uh, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So, someone had to die for our sins, and that was Jesus. He sent him. He lived a sinless life, so he was the perfect sacrifice. He died on a cross at Calvary, so that by his blood, by his sacrifice, we would have victory over death, we'd have victory over Satan, and we'd have victory over this world, so that when we walk in it, we walk in, it in his power and his might, and more importantly, in his wisdom, so that life would be abundant, as the Bible says. It's only abundant when you're walking in the Spirit of God, when you're claiming the higher ground. We far too long live in those valleys. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the gospel. All you've got to do is say, I believe that Jesus did that, and you're trusting in what he did and not what you can do or what you have done or what you're going to do. And guess what? The Bible says that saves you and that makes you redeemed and that makes you born again. Plain and simple. You're, not, you're born again spiritually, obviously not physically. It's that you've overcome that one of those three deaths. But if you're the, here today and you haven't been living on higher ground, you've, you've had a mediocre year, you've been complacent in your faith, in your devotions, you're not in a growth group, you're not connected to anybody in this life, you're one of those wanderers that the enemy likes to go after because you're easy prey if you're somebody that's not really reading you know, their Bible and having their devotions and not taking that map that he gives us seriously, if all any of those things are, are somewhat of an indictment on you, a conviction on you today, all it takes is the Lord, just go to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want 2020 to be the best year ever for you, which means it'll also be the best year ever for me as you walk and submit to him. Don't you want that? Isn't that what your heart, doesn't it have a yearning in your heart, an excitement in your heart? When I was preparing for the message, I just got so excited as I started to think about the biblical truths that what can it do if we really grab the hold of this concept? The first song John sang, it said, I not fear, right? Whom shall then I fear? I wonder sometimes when we're re- singing those songs, if we're really looking at the words and singing them as a prayer unto God. Whom then shall I fear? For a Christian only God, and it's a different kind of fear. I want to challenge you all today. I don't know where you're at, but I want to challenge you all today to seek higher ground, and God will bless you in ways you cannot even imagine.